It's a great uh, story of Chris, who attends our lease site. And as we launched that site seven years ago, just that first couple of weeks, he saw the poster, came along, now serving God, found God through the launch of a new site. I've just been in our Beckenham site, just been there. Uh, it's, just, it's like taking church and going, boom. There's 140 people there. And I walk in here and I think, where have you all come from? Yeah, I mean, just amazing. You're very, very welcome. My name's Steve. I'm the senior pastor of Kings. I've led the church for 23 years. And we're, uh, we're believing God for some massive things. And uh, we want to see a multiplication of stories like Chris. People finding God. Um, uh, some of you know I had a sabbatical across the summer, which was a, a great privilege and very enjoyable. And it was on a Friday morning that I was sitting uh, downstairs in our kitchen. Uh, and uh, it was about 8.30. Uh, I was sitting in the kitchen and probably I was uh, just making cooked breakfast for Deb or something like that. Just a normal thing that was happening in our house or at least a cup of tea or something like that. <laughs> and uh, I was sitting there and the doorbell went. And in my uh, 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 kitchen in our house, you can, if you're sitting in one place, you can look through into the hall and you can see who's at the front uh, uh, door. I feel that, Deb, I really would like you to concentrate on the message here rather than just getting a sweet. I mean, I felt I've lost the whole congregation. <laughs> it's not a bad church you come to and you get a sweet though, eh? That's good. That's good. I can see you're going to get used to it. But anyway, so are, are you with me? I'm in the kitchen. Yeah, I'm in the kitchen. The doorbell goes. It's 8.30 in the morning. It's the 6th of July and I look and there's a man standing at the door and I see him, and I, to be honest, what I think, I think, I think Prime Amazon, Amazon Prime. That's what I think. I think another delivery. Yeah, does that happen in your house? That happens in our house all the time. Our kids are always getting stuff. And so I get up and I go to the door. I open the door. There's this man standing there, and he looks at me, and it takes him about two seconds, and I go, "Douge it, douge." Is that you? And he laughs. He says, yes, it is. We embrace. And I invite him in. I haven't seen Douge for over 20 years. And suddenly, he's standing on my front door. If I, was on sabbatical, if I wasn't on sabbatical, I probably wouldn't have been there. He was visiting friends with his family in Forest Hill. And on the spur of a moment, thought he'd cycle across and see if he could see me. And there he was, standing on my front door. We knew that Dowd had done well because via Deb's Facebook we'd seen and connected but I hadn't seen him face to face. The last time I probably saw him was when he came down when I, I was prayed in to be the pastor here. And here's a picture of me and Dowd uh, on that morning. So, yeah. And uh, Dowd now is uh, serving God at the moment, is in India, in a place called Hebron. It's a school for missionary children. And he's there with his wife and two kids. His wife, Rachel, actually attended the school because her parents were missionaries. And they've gone back to serve God. He's been accepted for Anglican ministry. Uh, and um, it's just weighing... I was, what's happening this week? And he's... Um, 
They've kind of been directed to India, which wasn't in the plan. They've been there a year. Should they stay or come back? And he takes up his place at college. So that's exactly where he is now. And as a part of this message today, I asked his permission to tell his testimony, his story. It's a great story of reach, restore, and resource. And he said, oh, yeah, I love I love it, Steve. That, that's fine. And so he sent me a five-page kind of testimony of his testimony because he had to do that for his Anglican ordination to kind of get in. You have to sort of write quite a thorough testimony. So I've got five pages of his testimony. It's, it's deeply moving of the grace of God. Now, Douch was just sitting in my kitchen. And we were talking, laughing, telling, catching up. Uh, and um, here's his story. Um, Douch grew up as a Sikh. He used to go to temple, but his home life was not good. At the age of five, he says his father tried to commit suicide and was saved by two policemen. He goes on to say the reason he went into the police force was mainly for that experience, that if it wasn't for two policemen, and the police force get involved in some of the most difficult areas of life, um, he, he, uh, he didn't know if his father would have lived, and so he... he ends up being a, a, a police officer. Uh, but Dowdy's early years were demanding. His father was an alcoholic. Uh, home life was not good. Uh, and he started to come to the church. I was a youth pastor in Bedford after his older brother, Bryn, got saved. So Bryn got saved, started to come along, and then he brought his younger brother, Dowdy, along. Natural thing to do. And Dowdy got saved on the 9th of February, 1989 at a musical event called Solo Fide, which means justification by faith. It was the name of a kind of singing group. And then there was a gossip appeal, and Douge was reached. Douge responded to the gospel. But there was a long way for Douge to go. In fact, at that time, he got saved, but he dropped out of school. It was about 15, 16, he dropped out of school. He hadn't done his GCSEs, and... Um, after school, for the first 18 months, he worked as an assistant in the laundry department in a big local hospital, which he says in his testimony was hard work and not very pleasant at the best of times. And um, Deb and I would invite Douge around our house once a week. And uh, it's a powerful thing to open up your home and open up your life. If you want to reach people, that, you can't go far wrong by just opening up your home. And uh, inviting people into your space. I didn't know this until I read it just the other week when Dow sent this through. He said, The youth pastor spiritually adopted me into his family and inspired me in the faith through sharing Jesus' love in action. I would go to the house for tea once a week. Those were foundational moments of my growing in faith. He mentored and challenged me about my heavy drinking. Dowger kind of followed the pattern in the household and both encouraged and supported me going back into education to retake GCSEs for the third time. Now, occasionally from this pulpit, I will have a little dig at education. I do that deliberately because I think it's a very important thing, but it's not the only thing. Character and a good home are equally important. But it's also important to study and uh, as a number of the young people in this church have quoted to their parents, well, Steve Tibbet didn't get any exams, so why do I need to? Uh, well, mm, you quote me out of context there. So work hard, okay? And I encourage Douge to go back 
to a school, uh, which he did. And Darrell did well. He worked hard and he then got uh, his A-levels. And then our lives really, because I hadn't seen him for 20 years, really kind of went in a different direction where he then moved to Manchester to do his degree. And he did a degree at Manchester and passed. And uh, he said in his testimony again, um, the God of second chances, the God of second chances, sense of humour was evident that in after giving my life to Jesus and soon after failing my exams repeatedly, as well as getting arrested, 16 years later, I would be working for the police and being funded to read for a master's degree. Whew. And Dowge, he got his master's. And uh, not only uh, did he do that, he, um, he, he told me when I met him, so can I tell you, this was a few months ago, he's in my kitchen, did I tell you that? And he was telling me all this, and then he, he told me that he was working in the back, sort of more administrative area of the police force, and he felt as a Christian he should be on the front line, so he volunteered to take on Moss Side. Mm. Okay, he told me a few stories about Moss Side, okay? I've only ever been to Moss Side once. Have I ever told you I had a BMW? Have I ever told you that? I have, I told you that. Okay, that's an in-joke, sorry, if you're at King's. So, and... Um, I remember that because I went up there in my BMW and I came back lesser radio and a very nice leather jacket that I liked that Deb didn't like. And, uh, and it was a long drive back with a window down the M6. It was cold, I remember it. So I've been to Moss Side once and thought, it's, it's, it's tough. And he was a policeman on that estate. He had to move his house to Liverpool because it was dangerous to live in Manchester. And... Uh, uh, and as I said, now Dowge is serving God in Hebron and is called to Anglican ministry. Wow. And then uh, we were together, we prayed together. Yeah? And then he turned to me and said, Steve, I've come with purpose today. He said, I've come to thank you for being a father to me. Oh, my days. I completely lost it. And, you know, I'm a tough senior pastor. Yeah, okay. You have to be sometimes, I tell you. But behind it is a, a heart for people. And he said, ah, oh, and we're praying, I'm crying, and oh, gosh. And then before he left, <laughs> he's just leaving. He came back the next day with his wife and two kids, and we had an hour together. It was also fun. Before he left, he said, oh, I want to talk to your boys. So, poor, I mean, it's 8.30 in the morning, and uh, so I've got Josh and Sam are still living at home, and so there's a shout, Hey, Josh! Sam, come down! I want you to meet Dowge! And so they're kind of, you know, they're standing on the stairs, visualise it. It's like, what is going on here, you know? <laughs> and then uh, Dowge, he looks up and he says, he says, he says, he says, I want you to know <laughs> that your eldest brother is not Ben. But it's me. <laughs> and the boys are kind of like, they're trying to work that one out. <laughs> it was a deeply moving moment. I mean, last week I shared a big vision of us being a church that reaches thousands of people. And it was a deliberately big picture, and these are the key prophetic words. And for some of you here, it's like, yeah, yeah, really exciting. For others of you, it's like, oh, stop telling me about numbers. I just, well, I, I, this is what I'm telling you about one person 
one person. We just want hundreds of those stories. We want thousands. We want thousands of Chris's. We want thousands of Dowgett's. We want that to be our story, our testimony as a local church over the coming decade or so. And it resonates. Dowgett's story resonates, doesn't it? It resonates with me because it's his story, but it's also my story. It's his story, but it's my story that once I was far from God and my life was far from perfect and then God in his grace rescued me and then someone who was just a little bit ahead of me came along and encouraged me and discipled me and and invited me into a group and encouraged me to share my faith and and pray and read the Bible and, and, and help me as I was getting my life on a good foundation. And Dowd is a great example of Reach, restore, and now a resource, serving many. He became the, um, the chaplain for the whole of the greater Manchester area. And uh, he would, uh, he said, I loved it when I became the chaplain because it gave me permission within the certain dynamics of boundaries in a work context of what you can and can't say nowadays. Uh, you need wisdom, pray for wisdom in those moments. But he said, I just started praying with everyone. And if anyone said, you're a policeman, you come to us, oh, I'm the chaplain of the police. So he could. He was just out there. Remarkable young man. Um, last week I shared with you uh, a, a dream. Something that I said, look, we believe as a church God has called us to do. To reach, restore and resource. And we put it in the vision of 2030. And um, already mentioned, I hope you pick this up. If you haven't, please do. Well, firstly, could you listen to last week's message? If this is your local church, could I make that ask of you as the pastor of this church? Either to listen to it or watch it via the, the website so you can get the big picture of what we think God's calling us to do. Okay? And uh, the other thing that happened this week, I was speaking to some, a dear friend of mine who. Um, uh, I was saying, Oh, wasn't Vision Sunday great? And they were saying, Yeah, yeah. I said, What do you think of the brochure? Oh, I've got it, but I haven't read it. I was deeply shocked and offended. And um, I said, really? I mean, do you know how much work Brett put into this? And we're having a chat. And so, it's, you know, read it, would you? You could do that this week, yeah? So, and, and pick one up if you haven't got one. If you came in and there wasn't one on your chair, there's a load on uh, the welcome desk. And as you go out, we put a pile there. Hey, take it and read it. See if you can catch in your heart the sense of, we're going to reach thousands for Jesus and restore and resource many. I've rooted this series in the book of Acts, uh, a model church to us, a church that is started by people like us, just not the professionals, just people in church who were life-threatened, but they couldn't help but uh, tell Jesus. As we uh, read through the passage, I just want you to kind of uh, note how Luke, who writes Acts, just kind of keeps throwing in, and the gospel, and the gospel, and the Lord was and of. Just, just he wants to catch the heart of this church that's just established by believers sharing their faith. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution, this is Acts 11, that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phasinia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them, tick, the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed, tick, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. 
And when he arrived and saw the grace of God, or what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Tick and Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And uh, this great um, uh, New Testament church, great modern example, a challenge to us, actually. Huge challenge to us. Are we like them, in other words? Do we share our faith so openly? Uh, and uh, I, I find that a challenge. I hope you do. And what Luke does here is he uses kind of classic Luke summary phrases. Phrases like, and a large number came to faith, and a large number turned to the Lord, or they were saved and added. You see it through Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 5, and now here again in Acts 11. But what we have here is the expanding of the timeline as Luke records the kind of New Testament church. As many of you know, the book of Acts covers 30 years. The first few chapters, it's kind of the, uh, chronologically, the time is uh, not too uh, long. But by the time you get to Acts 11, this is, this is 10 or 11 years after Acts 9. Okay? And you have here uh, the reappearance of Saul, who becomes Paul, the great apostle. And uh, so you have massive gospel outbreak. Then in Acts 7 into 8, you have the persecution. Saul, Paul, they're approving of Stephen's martyrdom. And they're scattering the believers. And they go. And they go to places like Damascus and to to Antioch and other places. And um, they keep telling people about Jesus, even though they're running for their lives. It's remarkable, isn't it? I I don't know if you were running for your lives, whether you would still... I don't know. I, I asked myself that question. Maybe I'm that shallow. The rest of you are saying, of course I would, Steve. But I'm thinking, gosh, if I was running for my life, would I still be telling people about Jesus? This is how this church is started. It's remarkable. Uh, in fact, I thought what I'd do is just show you the geography uh, so you can visualize it. So if we could just put that on. So this is Jerusalem in the south. And there's Damascus. And, and Paul obviously got saved on the road to Damascus when Jesus appears to him. And... Uh, and then up to Antioch. Antioch is about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And Antioch is in northern Syria or southern Turkey, a nation that in the last decade has had horrific war. And literally Christians and many have had to flee for their lives. And then uh, just around the corner you've got Tarsus. And I don't know if I'd just forgotten this, but I thought, you just think that this church was started by believers running away from Saul. And then Barnabas turns up and says, hey, I've got a new teaching pastor for you. I'm just going to go and get him. Who is it? Oh, it's Saul Paul. But, uh, yeah, ten years later, be interesting. It's like bringing Andrew Wilson in here, isn't it? And saying, here's the new teaching pastor. And some of you are sitting there, man, he, he, he was approving killing of Christians. And now he's a teaching pastor. Quite interesting dynamic. Uh, I love the honesty and the openness of the New Testament. And then uh, Barnabas and Saul teach the church. And ultimately are sent out from that church. For a moment, I want you to just reflect on how you became a Christian. Or how even you, as you asked earlier, how you were invited to kings. Who, who was involved? Who was the people that shaped and helped your journey? Ultimately, Jesus saved you. No one else can do that. But who drew you in? Who was it? I was thinking of Nigel. Nigel, in the youth group I was in at Brickhill, Nigel was four years older. He was one of a handful of Christians, and uh, there was about 40 or 50 of us that weren't, weren't believers. 
And, uh, but I respected Nigel. He wasn't a big preacher talk. He just exemplary in his integrity, and that impressed me. I could tell you about Dr. Ian Spillman. He was a radical. Yeah, I, I was attracted to him. I, he was a radical. He'd served God in Uganda as a doctor uh, for four years with Tear Fund, and now was back in the church. I was an unbeliever. I was there, uh, but I was attracted to a radical follower of Christ. Yeah, I mean, who wants to be attracted by a lukewarm Christian? I mean, they don't know if they believe it or not. I mean, that is not attractive at all. You know, it's either true or it isn't. And he, he believed it, and he lived it out, and he had gone to serve God, and I was attracted to him. And uh, because he'd been out with Tear Fund, he ran the Tearcraft store at Greenbelt, which um, was a kind of Christian rock festival thing. And um, he ran the Tearcraft uh, store and a big tent at the festival, and he invited me on the team. And I went to Greenbelt because I was on the Tearcraft uh, team and served in the tent. And remember on the Sunday morning with 25,000 other young people breaking bread and thinking to myself, I'm not going to take bread, I don't believe this. But sat there, and it was actually in the context of breaking bread, uh, kind of revelation was coming. For the first time, I thought I wasn't in the in crowd, I was on the out crowd. And uh, I was sitting there. Anyway, uh, about six months later, I got saved, became a Christian. And ended up in a prayer group, a prayer triplet with Nigel and Ian. We used to meet at 6am every week to pray for an hour. And uh, I found out, Ian told me, he said he prayed through the night uh, for, on whether to ex- allow me to be on the team at Greenbelt. Through the night because the policy was that only Christians served. And he prayed through the night. And, he, and I was the only, the first or the only person who wasn't a Christian that served on uh, the team. I, I, I was grateful for him sort of just adjusting the serving rules because it helped me on my journey. So he, he was involved. And then, of course, my pastor, Peter Ledger, uh, as I grew up through my teen years, uh, I don't know if you know this, I have one spiritual gift. I, I'm not very, I'm, you know, you meet some people, they're just talented at everything. I, I'm not like that at all. I have one gift. It's, it's basically the gift of leadership. That's the only thing I can know what to do anything about. So much that before I was a Christian, I was a leader. And as I was growing up through my teen years, the church would take all the young people away, and I would lead the opposition. I would literally get all the young people together, what we were doing at a youth camp, things like that, and I would say things like, okay. You know what they're trying to do here? They're trying to get us to follow this Jesus guy. Let's stand together. Let's resist. Peter Ledger is a really good communicator. Let's resist. Resist. I did. I even, I, I even once on one youth camp said, let's worship the devil rather than Jesus. Oh, I did. I did. Yeah, I did. I was like that. Yeah. That shocked some of you, didn't it? Eh? That's how far gone I was. So I was a leader, and I thought, oh, leader. And Peter faithfully preached the gospel. And Deb and I had the great joy of meeting up with Peter and Pauline in our sabbatical. And we took them out for lunch in Bedford and thanked them. And I told him stories of, I still, when I'm in meetings, and I don't know what to do. I think, what did Peter do? Oh, he would have done that, and I'd, I'd do that. And we had a great time talking about, oh, God did some 20-so years ago in Bedford. Who? Who? was an example for you who showed you the way Jesus says in Matthew 9 then Jesus said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. See, I want to say, there, is, there are literally hundreds and thousands of people that live around us that want to know about Jesus. They're trying to get at something of purpose in their life. They're trying to get forgiveness for all the stuff they've mucked on. They're looking for friendship and community. Uh, they're really just bounced around by the world. And they're looking for someone and an example to follow. You could be that person. You could be the person that leads them to Jesus. Yeah? Because actually the issue is not the harvest field. I mean, sometimes you talk to Christians and say, well, there's just no one out there that wants to know the message. It's just, it's just not true. You just read in the paper today, there's this sort of thing about miracles. Have you, any of you seen that? The number of people that believe in miracles. Yeah, like 75% of the population, you know. It's presented in our secular uh, media, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> like 25% don't believe and then present it, you know, as a, like a big news. No, it's the other way around. There's just people out there. There are hundreds of people that want to know something and they're just looking for someone to be a Nigel, an Ian, or maybe even a preacher. Um, I shared last week that to 2030, Vision 2030, we want to uh, strengthen a come and see and also have a go and tell component of our vision when it comes to reach. We want to open up new sites and venues. So I was, uh, went over to Beckham. They are well set up. There's 140 people at Beckham today. And I walked in expecting to find this place empty. Yeah, and I just look around. I'm astounded. You see, when you move, God will move. Yeah, if you, God responds to faith. It really does. And uh, if you're new here and you've just walked in and you think it's, we need you. Yeah. You, you could be a, a, a Nigel. You could be, a, you could be a, a, an Ian. You could. Your story could be like Dowages or, or Chris's, where you've just kind of been drawn in. You don't even know why you're here. Someone invited you. Or you have a massive contribution to make to what we believe God's leading us to. So we expect, this is the geography of it. This is where our sites are now, up in Lee. We've got here in Catford. This is Downham. This is down in Beckenham. We see this as, uh, I mean, Thomas sees the whole world as his area. Uh, okay, but we, at the moment, Thomas, we see this. We think there's a million plus people here that we could reach. Okay, and we would love to believe that over the next decade or so, we'll open up many other sites. And we would expect... Um, uh, uh, all our um, sites to have more than one meeting. Uh, we're still planning to do a one thirty here in the new year, and uh, that we reach, we keep reaching. But also, we want to be go and tell people. And so, there's a teaching series coming in February and March, when we encourage everyone to get into a group, and we're going to base it out of the Gospels, and we're going to say, look, how do we share our faith effectively? Uh, that's something for the new year. Across the summer. Uh, Quite a lot happened across the summer. On one occasion, Sam, who was playing the guitar here this morning, uh, got on well. He said to his mum and me, oh, I've got a bit of a sore throat. A bit of a... It was Sunday evening. Yeah, okay, Sam's 18. I mean, you know, it's a sore throat, Sam. Pull yourself together. Man up, type parenting. And, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And by Wednesday morning, he's in A&E. Okay. I mean, he is in so much pain, he's on morphine, and they give him four antibiotics at the same time, such as the degree of the... The, the infection. He's fine. He's singing his. He's fine. He, um, the NHS was amazing. I have to say that without making any political comment at all. It was remarkable. And uh, he was out within two days. Uh, praise God. And, uh, but while we're there, in fact, across the summer, we just kept, we, we, I don't know if this happens to you. I bump into people that know Kings. If I say I'm from Kings, oh yeah, I know that church. 
we bumped into one nurse that said, oh, I know Kings, I must do the Alpha course. I was like, okay, all right, uh, I think, Lord, this is an opportunity. Yeah, okay, yeah, come along, we do Alpha every term. Or another nurse we bumped into was looking for a church, and it was, I had this strange conversation. Yeah, I'm the pastor of a local church, but I'm not there at the moment because I'm on sabbatical, but do come along, but I won't be there. It was a bit of a strange conversation. Uh, Friends, there are hundreds, thousands of people around us that are looking for hope, looking for purpose, looking for something bigger than the kind of life they're living. Yeah? And it just needs workers that pick up the heart of the Apostle Paul as he writes in Romans 10, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's what we want to be as a church. Uh, I hope we've always been like that. But going forward, we want to be a church that has got beautiful feet bringing good news of hope and eternal life and forgiveness yeah, that's what we've experienced. That's our story. We want to make it uh, uh, many other people's story. We want to reach thousands for Jesus. Amen. Amen.